Is the blessed life of the Beatitudes what you really want? Pastor Troy Dobbs joins us for part two of our discussion right here today on the Christian Worldview Radio program, where the mission is to sharpen the biblical worldview of Christians and to share the good news that all people can be reconciled to God through faith in Jesus Christ. I'm David Wheaton, the host, and our website is thechristianworldview.org. Well, thank you for joining us today for another edition of the program. You know, the American dream says the blessed life is one where you own a nice home, have a well-paying job, send your kids to reputable schools and colleges, and retire with plenty of money and time to spend traveling and recreating. That's the American dream. Now, many professing Christians say the blessed life is one where God causes you to be healthy, financially secure, influential, positive person, and, quote, anointed. Now, contrast those two definitions to what Jesus preached in his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew chapter 5. He opens this sermon with nine what's called the Beatitudes of the person who is truly blessed, And that person is described as seeing one's deep spiritual need, one who is blessed, who who hungers and thirsts for not self-righteousness, but God's righteousness. And one who is blessed, who is even persecuted for following Christ. And there's more than that. There's nine of them. Now, last weekend in part one, Pastor Troy Dobbs, a senior pastor of Grace Church in Eden Prairie, Minnesota, he joined us to discuss the first half of the Beatitudes. Now, this week in part two, Troy again joins us to discuss the rest of the Beatitudes in light of his new book, The Blessed Life That No One Really Wants. Let's get to the first, the first segment of the interview today with Troy Dobbs. The book that we're discussing is his new book, The Blessed Life That No One Really Wants. Just a few more questions for you, Troy. On page 52, you quote Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, by saying, true godliness lies very much in desires. And this chapter where you write that is about blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. What does that mean for a believer to do that, to hunger and thirst for righteousness? I think that when you think about those terms, hunger and thirst, I think it's hard for for most people to understand the the desperation that accompanies those words. If you're actually hungry or legitimately hungry and legitimately thirsty, you'd do anything to get something to eat. You'd do anything to get something to drink. And so I think he uses that concept to say, is there that kind of uh, desperation for drive for passion for for righteousness so being righteous then is right being made right with god being righteous then means you care about righteousness in culture if and i think people feel this right now that things are off in culture everything's divided everybody's you know lining up on this side or that side there's there's a level of of righteousness missing and we should be hungering and thirsting for righteousness to exist in culture, things to be people to be right with God and for there to be a rightness in how we think about things in culture. And then there's a it's the whole desire of you want other people to be right with God as well. So do we have a hunger and thirst for our own rightness with God, for a rightness in culture, 
for other people to be right with God. And so one of the ways then you test yourself or you gauge yourself is, do you, do you have that desire? So if you're not hungry and you're not thirsty, that's pretty telling, right? So it kind of gives you away, like, because your appetites say a lot about who you are. And so if you don't have an appetite for worship or you don't have an appetite for the word or you don't have an appetite for the gospel or you don't have an appetite to advance the gospel or you don't have an appetite to know Christ and grow in Christ and the desire to follow Christ, that tells you something's missing in you. And so those appetites can actually help you assess whether or not you really know Christ or not. And so I think those images you know, that Jesus uses are really rich in that way. And so I would say your desires are revealing. They reveal your passions. They reveal your allegiances. They actually reveal what's important and valuable and meaningful to you. And so I think that's how Jesus wants to think, us to think about this then. So are we, really, are we really sure that we know that we know Jesus? And I think that's what Spurgeon was kind of hitting that with that quote, that whole concept and idea. Again, Troy Dobbs with us today on The Christian Worldview, talking about his book, The Blessed Life. We have it linked at our website, thechristianworldview.org. It would be very helpful uh, for you to read this book, to delve into these Beatitudes, and really understand the richness of meaning uh, beyond this, the superficial of quote-unquote blessing that's been so kind of twisted today. Troy, let's skip forward to the Beatitude number six, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. On page 80, uh, you talk about it being impossible to see a holy God while embracing an unholy lifestyle. In this Beatitude, pure in heart, we'll get to see God. Yeah. Tell us what it means to have this pure heart and why seeing God is always presented in Scripture as either people are just aren't able to even see him at all, and but that be a yearning, and that being so, and this, this word awesome really should be only applied to something related to God, why it is so awesome. No, that's a great question. I think when he talks about being pure in heart, we've got to understand that he's not talking about an external purity. Like the Pharisees would have been fantastic in that regard. They were great at cleansing the external. Uh, and focusing on the external. And so the Bible, I think, is really clear that, that our heart is cleansed by the blood of Christ. And so there's got to be the inward cleansing that, that comes from the shed blood of Jesus on, on the cross. And when by faith we say yes to Jesus, that gets applied to us. And then we're purified, not because we're pure, but because Christ has purified us and he's cleansed us. And in that cleansing, what I think this beatitude is saying is that we, we get to see God. And the whole idea, right, we can't see God and live because he's, he's too amazing. He's too magnificent, the Bible says. But I think the idea then is that we actually, we see God at work. And so when there is, when your heart has been cleansed by the blood of Christ, then you get to see God work and understand God and get a, a glimpse of how God does what God does in culture in a way that is stunning and amazing. And so seeing God is so awesome. You know, no one can see God but Jesus, and that's why we need a mediator. Because God is so glorious, so otherworldly, so unlike us, that we could never know him, see him, and live. 
to think then how amazing it is then that that God loved us so much that he would give up his only son to enable us to have a relationship with a God of that magnitude. Yeah, It's just profound, right, that whole thought and idea. And then to be able to see God at work. And that's why I think we trust in, you know, the Bible says there is a positional righteousness and then there's a practical righteousness. So positionally, right, we're justified. We can't be any more justified. We're right with God. We can't be any more saved than we already are. And so that's our position before Christ. But practically, there's also an, an outworking of that. And that is where we are trying to, by the power of the Spirit, to live lives that bring glory and honor to God. And we don't set unclean things before our eyes. We don't want to live impure lives because we know the Bible cares and speaks so highly of and deeply about this whole idea of purity. And so we want God to do a work in our hearts. And so that's why once you've trusted Jesus Christ and he's cleansed you from all sin— that you care so deeply about sin because of what it calls Jesus, that as you move forward in the Christian life, man, you're really close to him. You want to be close to him. You want to continually confess those sins, mourn over those sins, because you want to, you want to see God at work. You want God to do a work in you. Mm-hmm. And so God uses people who are pursuing him. And so that whole idea is, it was always amazing to me. And I actually kind of spent a little bit of time kind of talking about the whole concept of can we actually see God when the Bible says that we can't see God? And so I kind of explain that so people can you know read the book and see that. And it'll, I think it'll make a lot more sense. But I do think there's a great, powerful picture of being able to see God at work and knowing that God is at work. And that only comes from being in a right relationship with him. Okay, final beatitude to discuss today here on The Christian Worldview with our guest, Troy Dobbs, in his new book, The Blessed Life. You say later in the book now, it comes down to this. Every Christian needs to understand that the goal of Christianity is not to be a nice, popular person who never offends anybody. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in Luke 6, Woe to you when everyone speaks well of you, for that is how their ancestors treated the false prophet. Does it seem like the goal of evangelical Christianity today is is to be palatable to the non-believing culture, to not be offensive? You mentioned earlier about not talking about sin. How does this final beatitude, number eight, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, just completely go against, I think, the mainstream church culture today? Yeah, no, for sure. You know, I think that we have to be clear that we're not just looking for persecution for persecution's sake. You're persecuted because of righteousness. And so when you're persecuted because you are right with God, you know that's coming. You're going to be persecuted when you want to see righteousness in culture. Because, you know, the Bible would say that those apart from God hate God. They're God's enemies. They, they don't want to see the rule and reign of God in culture. You're going to be persecuted when you want other people to be right with God. You're going to be labeled as intolerant. And so I think over time what happens is that we start listening to culture more than Scripture. And if you take your cues from the culture, you're going to end up in a living a very vanilla, generic, unspecific Christian life, where you'll retreat to vague theisms about God, but not a clean and clear 
passion for proclamation of Jesus is the only way. And I see people cave into that left and right uh, in culture today. And I think some of it is, you know, we want everybody to like us. I think some of it is we, we don't want to be insulted or persecuted. I think some of it is we really don't believe the gospel like we think we believe the gospel. And so I, you know, I even said this past weekend at Grace, you know, you're only impacted by the gospel in as much as you're impacting someone else's life with the gospel. And so if you're not making any kind of gospel impact in culture at all, maybe it's because the gospel hasn't touched down in your life. Mm-hmm. And so that becomes the first place that, that you look. And the thing that's so amazing to me, David, too, is you kind of walk through that Hebrews 11, how every single one of, of those men and women in Hebrews chapter 11, they all experienced unbelievable persecution, flogged, jeered, sawn into. I mean, you read that, it's just unbelievable. Okay, our guest today on The Christian Realview is Troy Dobbs, a senior pastor at Grace Church in Eden Prairie, Minnesota. We're talking about his new book, The Blessed Life, which is an examination of the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. And I, th- I think it's important to do this in the midst of all the topsy-turvy upheaval that's been going on in our society this year. It's very easy for a Christian to be very uptight and be really focused on that 100% and, and have the wrong kinds of attitudes. When we go back to Scripture, we look at the Beatitudes, what kind of attitudes, so to speak, does God want built into us? What is the blessed life in the midst of unrest and upheaval in our society? More of Troy Dobbs coming up next on The Christian Real View. The Bible says that children should be raised in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. There's nothing more important than sitting, walking, talking, and teaching your son or daughter to love and fear God. The church is swimming in children's resources, but it's ultra important to select ones that accurately represent God, His Word, and the Gospel. At our store on thechristianworldview.org, we are intentional about offering resources that will build a sound and strong faith in children. You will find several Bibles for children, the Adam Raccoon book series, and Good News for Little Hearts series. We also have video and audio resources like Theo and Sugar Creek Gang. Browse them all at thechristianworldview.org and then use them daily with the child God has put in your life. That's thechristianworldview.org. The Christian Worldview radio program airs live Saturday mornings at 8 a.m. Central Time. But did you know you can also listen according to your own schedule? One simple way to hear past programs is at our website, thechristianworldview.org. You'll also find short takes there, which are bite-sized highlights of each program. Beyond our website, you can search for The Christian Worldview in the podcast app on your smartphone and subscribe for free. The program is also available at oneplace.com, sermonaudio.com, iTunes, Google Podcasts, and Stitcher. If you need help navigating the online podcast realm, just give us a call, toll-free, 1-888-646-2233, or follow the links on the homepage of thechristianworldview.org. Because when believers have a sharper biblical worldview and non-believers come to saving faith, lives and families are changed for the glory of God. Thank you for listening.
back on the Christian Realview radio program. I'm David Wheaton, the host. Our website is thechristianrealview.org. I just want to point out a couple of things there. We have all sorts of new children's resources. It would be great to do during this particular time to get some good uh, audio or video or books uh, into the hands to do with your kids or grandkids. Uh, also, of course, adult resources, DVDs and books and Bibles and all sorts of things at our store uh, at thechristianworldview.org. You can also become a monthly partner to The Christian Worldview. That would be a great where a listener-supported ministry and uh, or just make a single uh, one-time donation to support the ministry of The Christian Worldview. That would be much appreciated. We want to also highlight that we have our golf event coming up this September if you're a golfer. Uh, over at Woodhill Country Club in Wyzetta, Minnesota, Monday, September 21st. And uh, there's not going to be a dinner event this year, at least the way things are going, because of restrictions on indoor group gatherings. But uh, we'd love to have you come uh, for the golf portion uh, of the event. You can find out about all these things, resources, signing up for our free weekly email, supporting the ministry, all sorts of things, by just going to our website, thechristianrealview.org. Now, we're talking today with Pastor Troy Dobbs of uh, Grace Church in Eden Prairie about his new book, The Blessed Life, which focuses on the Beatitudes. We have one more segment with Troy, and then we're going to get into uh, how the culture uh, perceives the blessed life. Uh, This week, there was a lot of controversy around the Smithsonian Institution that they had this chart and this explanation of what they call aspects and assumption. Aspects and Assumptions of Whiteness and White Culture in the United States. And so their take on it, it's, it's blessed, not the Beatitudes, but it's blessed to be white. And, and, and then you see this in our culture today that it's, you're reviled if you're white. So we'll look into what they had to say about that particular very contentious race-based issue coming up in the second half of the program today. Before we do that, do that. Let's get back to the last part of our interview with Pastor Troy Dobbs. And yet, the Bible says that they long for something better. And so, I always looked at that kind of like a well, maybe it's saying that you can you can be faithful to God, and you may not get rewarded in this lifetime. I don't think that's what it means. I think it actually means you can be faithful to God. That faithfulness is going to generate persecution. Like, just count on it. Don't be surprised by it. Just count on it. I think then what the text is actually saying is that the folks in Hebrews 11 had such a passion for, a hunger for, and a thirst for God that there was, there was no blessing they could, they could receive on earth that would satisfy them. Their only satisfaction would be, like, we want to know God see God, worship God. And so that became the, the end-all, be-all pursuit. Rather than, hey, there's something that I could get on earth that would, would satisfy me, there's really nothing on earth that can satisfy you when you realize that only Jesus brings satisfaction. And so that's why I kind of say at the end, that's why our best life ever, because Jesus is in it, right? Jesus is in charge of it. And so Jesus is the better way of, of living then. And so I think we stop short then of Christ as being our reward. And we just say, you know, God, I want you to give me this or this or this. And then when we get it, we, we're never satisfied. Mm-hmm. 
And ultimately, there's nothing on earth, when you know Christ, there's nothing on earth that can ultimately satisfy the deepest need of who you are as a follower of Jesus Christ. So that's kind of the idea then. Yeah, when you're talking about that nothing can satisfy us, that only God can satisfy our deepest longings, I know you're a big basketball fan. You have a son who is an excellent basketball player. You were too, and you probably read that article, and I think it was in ESPN about Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player yeah. of all time, that long article they had on him and just how deeply unsatisfied uh, he is now yeah. in his, I'm not sure, maybe he's in his mid to late 50s or something at this point. And after all the the success and money he's made and everything else, because he, he's not in a relationship that God with God that God intended him to have and just made that your point so so strong there. Final question for you today, Troy, again, thank you for coming on the program, is just a summary for someone listening today that, that tuned in, is trying to figure this all out about these Beatitudes, Matthew 5, the Sermon on the Mount, what would you say to the person listening today who maybe hasn't entered into a relationship with, with God through Christ by faith at this point, or for the Christian listening today who wants to better live out, have these be manifested out of their lives? How do they go about some practical ways to go about doing this? Yeah, I think that, one, humility is the key to getting more of God's grace if you're a Christ follower. God is attracted to humility. And so when you're really honest before God, that moves the heart of God. I think, you know, you look in culture today, we need to mourn our sin, right? We should be mourning the sins of our culture. I think this whole idea of meekness, bridled strength that relies on God's sovereignty, not our own power. That's a relevant word for us today. You know, everybody's striving, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just a constant power struggle. Well, the Christ follower says, hey, we have strength, but it's bridled strength because we're going to rest in God's sovereignty. God is the one who has all the power. I think then we look at what are we hunger and thirst for? What are we really after in life? If it's not the Word of God, the Son of God, right, the Church of Jesus Christ, we've got to kind of look and say, hey, what's missing in me? Blessed are the merciful. And we, we certainly need that in today's culture, right, where, where we understand what grace does, and when we give people grace, when we show people mercy and give them second chances, how powerful that is and how transformative it is for a culture. Certainly the pure in heart for Christ's followers. We're going to make sure that we're cleansed by the, the blood of Jesus Christ, and we want to see God work. Talking to a group of, of pastors the other day, like we need to see a work of God, and we need to see God at work in our culture right now. And then peacemakers, obviously, Keeping peace is one thing. Making peace is another thing. I mean, the gospel is the peace plan, right? Mm -hmm. that, that, that changes people's lives forever. Mm. And then I just think this whole idea that you're going to follow Jesus Christ, and you're not going to have trouble, and you're not going to have struggles. When you look at the, the founder of the faith, Jesus Christ himself, who ends up nailed to a tree, and that somehow you and I would— would be able to live lives different than that, contrary to that, without pain, without struggle. I just think you, you look at your Savior, and, and he told us this, right? You can expect it, right? So don't be surprised when it comes. Be disappointed when it doesn't come, I would say, because maybe you're not living a righteous Christian life that draws any sort of distinction. Mm -hmm. 
And then I think for people who don't know Christ, listen, the whole key then is you're going to rely on you. You're going to rely on him. So I'm sharing the gospel with two or three different friends of mine right now. Or just, are you going to go with you? You banking on you. And, you know, the Bible would say that uh, if you will just humble yourself and lay yourself low before God and say, hey, I acknowledge I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. And I acknowledge by faith the Savior is Jesus. And I want Jesus to come into my life and to fill my life, that he'll cleanse you from all your past present and future sins. He'll write your name in the book of life. He'll give you eternal life the moment you believe. So it's not like you get it when you die. You get it when you say yes to Jesus. That that'd be the greatest gift that anyone could ever receive on on the planet. And so I would say, man, I would run towards this gospel, this good news, and stop relying on myself and start trusting in the Savior and his work for me. Well, so well said and so true. Troy Dobbs has been with us today on The Christian Real View. Thank you so much, Troy. This is an insightful and biblical, convicting and helpful book, The Blessed Life. I hope listeners will read it. And uh, we wish all of God's best and grace to you, Troy, and your family. And thanks again for coming on the program today. David, thanks so much for having me. I appreciate you. Hope you enjoyed the interview with Troy. Now, if you want to get a copy of his book, we have it available at thechristianworldview.org. We have it on a special discounted price as well, just for a limited time. It's called The Blessed Life That No One Really Wants. Now, we're going to transition now and do a contrast between what Troy just talked about and this, the, the blessings that Christ talked about in his Sermon on the Mount. None of these are based on circumstances or situations in our society. They're, ir- they're irrespective of that. And I'll just, again, read the passage again in case you missed it last week when I read this opening of the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. When Jesus saw the crowds from Matthew 5, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, and here, here come the nine blessed statements. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is spiritual brokenness, realizing you have a deep need to be right with God. That's a blessing if you have that. Number two, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is mourning over your sin. That's a good thing. That's a blessing if you have that, because that's going to lead you to the solution, the, the offer that God offers uh, to to make you right, to forgive you of your sin. Number three, blessed are the gentle or the meek, it's often translated as. Meekness is is power under control. It's self-control, for they shall inherit the earth, the meek. It's, it's, it's self-control over the sinful desires that are inside every one of us and that we don't just rage out in anger. We have control over our our own spirit by the power of the Holy Spirit. You're blessed if you have that meekness. Number four, blessed are those who... Hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. This is our greatest desire is to eat and drink. Uh, But it's not just physical eating and drinking. The greatest desire, you're blessed if your greatest desire is to pursue the righteousness that God offers you through his son. And we'll go through the rest of them at the beginning of the next segment. And then also we're going to get into this contrast of what the culture says is to be blessed. It's, It's equity. It's to have racial reconciliation. That's the greatest blessing. We'll talk about that next in whiteness here on The Christian Real View. 
If you like golf, you'll love playing in the Christian Worldview Golf Event at Historic Woodhill Country Club in Wyzetta, Minnesota on Monday, September 21st. Golf registration includes lunch, range, and 18 holes with cart on one of the best courses in the state. Bring your own foursome, or we can fit you into a group. Whole sponsorships are also available. Shotgun start is 12.30 p.m. There won't be an evening dinner event this year due to indoor group restrictions, but golfers will enjoy the rare opportunity to play at Woodhill with its immaculate condition, challenging greens, and beautiful setting, all in support of the Christian Worldview Radio Ministry. We hope to see you on Monday, September 21st. Registration deadline is Tuesday, September 8th. To register, visit thechristianworldview.org. That's thechristianworldview.org. Be sure to take advantage of two free resources that will keep you informed and sharpen your worldview. The first is the Christian Worldview Weekly Email, which comes to your inbox each Friday. It contains a preview of the upcoming radio program, along with need-to-read articles, featured resources, special events, and audio of the previous program. The second is the Christian Worldview Annual Print Letter, which is delivered to your mailbox in November. It contains a year-end letter from host David Wheaton and a listing of our store items, including DVDs, books, children's materials, and more. You can sign up for the weekly email and annual print letter by visiting thechristianworldview.org or calling 1-888-646-2233. Your email and mailing address will never be shared, and you can unsubscribe at any time. Call 1-888-646-2233 or visit thechristianworldview.org. Welcome back to the Christian Worldview radio program. Today we're talking about the blessed life in contrasting that, what Jesus lays out in the Sermon on the Mount, these nine beatitudes of the truly blessed life that are not uh, dependent or conditional upon your circumstances. So in the midst of coronavirus and social unrest and anything else that's going on in your life, you can have this blessed life that Jesus talks about because they're all inner qualities. They're not dependent on external circumstances like racial harmony or health or your particular financial situation. And before the break, we were going over some of these just in summary, and we were down to, I believe, the, what was it, the, maybe the fifth one. See, one, two, three, four. We're down to the fifth one. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Um, those who are merciful don't give people what they deserve. That That's what mercy is. Justice is people or someone getting what they deserve. If God gave us justice, we would be sent to hell immediately after the first time we sin because we sinned against our creator. It's treason. Uh, it's a, a crime against an infinitely holy God. And if we got justice, what we deserved, well, we would be justly condemned and sentenced to hell because of the first sin we committed. But God is merciful. He's patient. Uh, he doesn't give us what we deserve, at least right away. Uh, he gives us opportunity to be right with him. He gives us grace. That is being given what we don't deserve. So those those three terms are interesting to think about. Justice is being given what we do deserve. Mercy is not being given uh, what we do deserve. We deserve judgment. And grace is being given what we don't deserve, with forgiveness and eternal life, rightness, reconciliation with God. And that that's a blessing <clears throat> if you are are merciful in life because that makes you like God. 
Uh, the next one, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Being pure in heart means you, you seek holiness. And if that's your desire, rather than seeking sinfulness, that, that's a blessing. You have a blessed life. The next one, blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. Right now, there's such an easy uh, time, a natural time, to be so contentious and so divided. And so, um, you know, just, uh, I'm there, I got the right way here, and you got the wrong way. It's us against them. Um, but that's not what Christ says. He says, blessed are the peacemakers, those who try, try to seek peace, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, sometimes it's not possible, of course, to seek peace with someone, uh, someone else who doesn't want it, but trying to seek, trying to be a peacemaker is a good thing. It's, it's a blessed thing. And then the next, the last two are sort of almost combined together. It's, it's in the past and it's in the present. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then the last one is blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you. So there's a past tense for those who have been, and there's a present tense for those who are being insulted and being persecuted and saying all kinds of things against you falsely be, because of me. It says rejoice. It's not, it's not to say dread this. It says rejoice and be glad, he says, for your, your reward in heaven is great, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. In other words, when you have been persecuted or have been insulted and persecuted for righteousness' sake or because of Christ, you're, you're sharing in, in the suffering of, of your Savior, that he came to earth. He lived a perfect life, and yet he was persecuted and insulted and eventually uh, martyred on the cross. He was uh, crucified. And so you're sharing at least in a little bit of the one you're following. And it's also showing you you're blessed because it's showing you that if you're willing to suffer for the sake of righteousness, for following Christ, to be persecuted for that, it's showing you, and you're blessed because it's showing that you're loving God more than your own personal safety and security and sort of peace and ease. Because it was always easier, as Troy was saying in his last answer, to kind of, you know, kind of shimmer away from that kind of thing. You know, get away. You don't want to be, you don't want, no one wants, I mean, who who wants to be persecuted? It's, it's much easier to have, you know, a personal peace and affluence, right, uh, than be persecuted. But when you're willing uh, to suffer persecution at the hands of or because you're a follower of Christ, that shows that you love God more than you love your own personal comfort. And then that's what why Jesus calls you blessed. So these are all internal blessings that we can have in the midst of any situation. Now, I just want to contrast that. As I was reading this week, a, a story came out from the uh, Smithsonian about the Smithsonian Institution, the great historical institution that keeps track of American history and artifacts and all sorts of things uh, here in in our country, and they had a chart and a column on their uh, website about this issue of race, which has been so much in the news recently. And according to the Smithsonian Institution, of course, of so much of our culture today, um, they would say. Blessed or privileged are the white people, uh, for theirs is the power, not the kingdom of heaven, but for theirs is the power in our society. So blessed are you if you're white, and actually to those who resent that, reviled are you if you're white. So just contrast how different 
the definition of blessing is according to those who see everything through racial identity and how what a dead-end street that is and something that the Bible never does and never divides us according to the, the melanin count or the color of our skin or even our ethnicity. It doesn't divide us according to that. It always sees us as one race, the human race. But if you say that today, well, you're denying you're, – you're a racist. You're denying uh, what is patently observable. Well, that's because they're dividing people into categories that there shouldn't be division. They're focusing and dwelling and obsessing over skin color and culture and leads only to more division. So they came out with a chart, the Smithsonian Institution. And on the chart, the title of it is, and they actually took it down. You probably could find it somewhere on the Internet if you just type in Aspects and Assumptions of Whiteness and White Culture in the United States. And they have all these different categories uh, in this particular chart. So they, they describe what whiteness and white culture is. It's, it's rugged individualism. That's one of the categories. It's the individual is the primary unit. This is a symbol or this is a, a trait of whiteness is that you're an individualist. You're self-reliant. You have independence and, and autonomy is highly valued and re- rewarded. I'm just reading off this chart. Uh, an in, in, in individual is assumed to be in control of their environment. You get what you deserve. That, that's, a, that's what they call white culture. If you're, if you're individually minded rather than community minded. Number two category is you, you are a part of white culture and you have white superiority. If you believe in a, a family structure of the nuclear family where you have a father and mother uh, and raising, as they say, 2.3 children uh, is the ideal social unit. That's the ideal social unit. That's, that's a symbol or a trait or a characteristic of whiteness. And, and by the way, it, the, the implicit tone here is that this is not right to have these particular things, to, 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 to have self-reliance or to be an individual as the primary unit. That, that's not a good thing. Or the nuclear family is the ideal ideal social unit. That's not a good thing. Or a husband, as it says here, a husband is uh, the breadwinner and the head of the household. And the wife is the homemaker and subordinate to the husband. That's also what they say here. Children should uh, have their own rooms and be independent. Next category is emphasis on the scientific method. This is a trait of whiteness and white culture. And so the bullet points under that one are your objective you have rational, linear thinking, as if that's somehow uh, lacking. You, you should not be objective and rational and linear in your thinking. You should be relative, and you should be irrational in your thinking. Apparently, that's better. Uh, you have uh, cause and effect in relationships. You know, people treat you badly. There's a cause and effect for that. Uh, next one is history. Uh, white culture is based on northern European immigrants' experience in the United States, it's a uh, heavy focus on the British Empire, uh, the, prim- the primacy of Western and Judeo-Christian tradition. Now, they're getting at something here. They're saying our white culture, or what they deem white culture and whiteness, is, is based on Judeo-Christian tradition. Again, it's not saying that this is just an observation of what white culture is in the United States. There's, there's an implicit negativity attached with this particular white culture in America. Uh, next category from the Smithsonian Institution and talking about race, aspects and assumptions of whiteness in white culture in white superiority is what they get into in their column, is the Protestant work ethic. 
The bullet points under that are hard work is the key to success. You work before you play. And if you didn't meet your goals, you didn't work hard enough. Well, I'm not so sure about the last one. Um, maybe for some people who take it to the extreme, but as if hard work uh, isn't a good thing. Uh, as if you, it's better to play uh, before you work. That, that's, a, that's a better value than actually working before you play. The next category of white culture and, and hence white superiority is aesthetics. It's based on, again, European culture. Uh, bland is best. Women's beauty is based on blonde skin like a Barbie doll. And men's attractive, man's attractiveness is based on um, eyes here, glasses, economic status, power, and intellect. And, well, I, I would just say that that is probably the last one about man's attractiveness. I mean, tell me which society in the world isn't that based on. If you go over to Asia, Russia, the Middle East, wherever, um, p- position, economic power, status, intellect, isn't that always a, a powerful position to be in? Why is that actually a category of of white culture? Holidays, the next category, according to this chart, they're based on Christian religions, based on white history and male leaders. So our holidays are, are based on, on Christmas and Easter and so forth. I mean, it, it seems kind of rather obvious in, in a society like ours who has a majority of white people uh, who came from uh, Christian backgrounds, founded upon Christian uh, principles and values, that this would be the case. Some of the things they're writing about in here came from Judeo-Christian worldview. So you'd expect that there would be a focus on the individual, not the not the community. The Bible always focuses on the, the individual, not the community. You think there would be an emphasis on the nuclear family. That's what the Bible teaches. You think there would be an emphasis on work. If man won't work, neither let him eat. You think there would be an emphasis on Christian holidays. This is just basically stating the the obvious, but also it's portraying the obvious in a very negative connotation, like there's something better out there than what we have. We'll come back and talk more after this. David Wheaton here to tell you about My Boy Ben, a story of love, loss, and grace. Ben was a yellow lab and inseparable companion at a stage in my life when I was single and competing on the professional tennis tour. I invite you to enter into the story and its tapestry of relationships with Ben, my aging parents, with a childhood friend I would finally marry, and ultimately with God, who caused all things, even the hard things, to work together for good. Order the book for your friend who needs to hear about God's grace and the gospel, or the one who has gone through a difficult trial or loss, or just the dog lover in your life. Signed and personalized copies are only available at MyBoyBen.com or by calling one 646 2233 That's one 646 2233 or MyBoyBen.com. There's an abundance of Christian resources available, but the reality is that many of them, even some of the most popular, do not lead to a sound and strong faith. While there's only one perfect book, A key aim of the Christian worldview is to identify and offer resources that are biblically faithful and deepen your walk with God. In our online store, we have a wide range of resources for all ages, adult and children's books and DVDs, Bibles and devotionals, unique gifts, and more. So browse our store at thechristianworldview.org and find enriching resources for yourself 
family, friends, small group, or church. You can also order by calling toll-free 1-888-646-2233. That's 1-888-646-2233. Or visit thechristianworldview.org. All right, final segment of the day here on the Christian Realview radio program. In the first half of the program today, we talked about what Jesus said in the truly blessed person. These these nine beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5 from the Sermon on the Mount where he talks about the blessed person has these inner spiritual qualities and not dependent on your race, uh, your economic position, uh, your marital status, uh, what your job is how many children you have, how many grandchildren you have, that doesn't bring necessarily a blessed life. Those may be some blessings of this life, but those things aren't what Jesus said are the blessed life. And we're contrasting that to what our society now is telling us is the blessed wife, the blessed life, uh, that those who are white and male and heterosexual and Christian, and hardworking, and individualists, and income makers, and, and, and married to a woman of, of someone of the, the opposite sex, those are the blessed people uh, in our society because they have the power. And they're actually now not necessarily, they might be blessed themselves, they might be called privileged themselves, but to them they think they're blessed, but to the other side, the left in our country, they're actually reviled, and that's what has to be overturned. I've been reading this chart which describes this, from the Smithsonian Institution. The title is Aspects and Assumptions of Whiteness in White Culture in the United States. Now, just even that title, just, just imagine just for a second, can you imagine the Smithsonian Institution or anyone, any media outlet ever putting, making a chart like this on aspects and assumptions of blackness in black culture in the U.S.? Or can you imagine an organization be entitled uh, White Lives Matter uh, with, uh, with the beliefs on the uh, right, statedly right on the website that we are unap- unapologetically white in our positioning, as Black Lives Matter says we are unapologetically black in our positioning. Can you imagine a congressional white caucus? Can you imagine historically white colleges instead of black colleges? Can you imagine an organization called the National Association for the Advancements, Advancement of White People instead of colored people? I mean, this is there's so much... Uh, duplicity within this whole thing. It's so racialized, and it is so ultimately divisive. It, they, they want to go to a place. Uh, they, they say they're going to a place of reconcilia- racial reconciliation, but ultimately it's not going to ever get there. It's going to become more divided, and ultimately it's going to be a power struggle. And it's ultimately, as James Cohn said, won't play the soundbite today because we'll do it next week, about it's all about holding power. That's what the ultimate goal is. It's power control. Those who don't think they're in power because they're uh, not the right kind of skin color for our society want power, and the only way they can get it is to shame those who are in power, and hopefully they'll give it up and take it over. So to the humanist mind, blessed are those, again, who are white. But it really has nothing to do with being white, these things in the chart. It has everything to do with the influence of Christianity, because what they described as white culture, at least most of the things that they describe as white culture uh, in this chart are mostly based on biblical values. 
this is this chart and this whole white fragility, white superiority, white supremacy movement. It's a really not so subtle attack on Christianity. I mean, it needs to be asked from this chart. So it says uh, if the white culture focuses on the individual. So is it better to have community rights over individual rights? Is it better to have a, a non-nuclear family arrangements where there isn't a mother and a father raising children? Is it better to have relative, non-rational thinking in a society? Is it better to have people not working in a society? Is it not good, as they say, as they get into uh, justice? They say the white culture is, is noted by protecting private property and entitlements. Is it better not to have private property uh, and protect private properties? Let people take what they want from you? Is it, is it good that they talk about uh, communication uh, to, uh, um, let's see, they say speaking clearly? Is a is a in in understandable uh, terms and words that that's a, a, a attribute of white culture. Is it better not to speak clearly? It, it, they say white culture is is doesn't show emotion. Is it better to show every emotion you you ever have come into your mind? Just let it all hang out. You see, this is a a not so subtle attack on biblical Christianity because what of what they deem white culture? So much of that is based on the Judeo Christian worldview. And ultimately, I, I think what it is, is it's making excuses for sinful traits of people, any people, any skin color, who reject God and his word. It's really an attempt at Marxism, which is what Black Lives Matter is all about. And as I said, racism only gets worse when more emphasis is placed on your skin color. It only gets worse. Just think about Martin Luther King Jr., what, what he said, that that he envisions a day in America, I said this back in the 60s, when the content of one's character was more important than the the color of one's skin. Now, he's absolutely right, but that's not what the the race movement believes today. I mean, that line, content of character over color of skin, that's actually helpful toward racial reconciliation because it helps toward a colorblind society where we don't just categorize and pigeonhole people according to be in certain ethnic or people of color categories. That helps towards that. But Black Lives Matter doesn't want that. They, they don't want racial reconciliation. They want Marxism and communism. They did basically just say so. And so there's a whole column uh, associated with this chart that's been taken down on the Smithsonian Institution website. And the column is actually linked at our website, thechristianworldview.org. The title is Whiteness by the Smithsonian Institution. I would really encourage you because next week we're going to do a topic on this program. We're going to have sound bites from some of the leading proponents of, uh, of, of this uh, idea, this worldview of whiteness. Uh, right at the top of that list is an author named Robin DiAngelo. She's an American academic and lecturer and author. She's written a book that's extremely popular called White Fragility, which is basically a strong criticism or critique of white culture, as we were talking about in this in this chart that I was reading earlier today. We'll have sound bites from her and others. And this really gets at the heart of what the racial tension and what's at stake in our country right now. It's a pulling down of what they like to say, White culture, which again is based on the Christian worldview, much of it is not not all of it. Of course, culture can have really bad elements and take things too far beyond what the Bible intends. Uh, but it's really a subtle attack on that. And what are they after? 
And so next week we're going to get into that, the issue of white privilege and so forth. Uh, I'll just give you an example from this column. Since white people in America hold most of the political, institutional, and economic power, there's the word again. You've got to remember that word. It's all about power. They receive advantages that non-white groups do not. These benefits and advantages of varying degrees are known as, quote, white privilege. For many white people, that, this can be hard to hear, understand, or accept, but it is true. If you are white in America, you have benefited from the color of your skin. So it's all based on the color of your skin. It's not based on attributes, and it's certainly not based, the blessed life isn't based on what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, those beatitudes, those inner things that any person of any color can have when they enter into a right relationship with God through Christ then you can truly have the blessed life and it's not based on your skin color or your circumstances or your health and your wealth and your prosperity and your position in life. So stay tuned. Much more coming up on this next week on the Christian Worldview. You know, we do live in a changing and challenged world, but there is one thing we should always remember. Jesus Christ and his word are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And until next weekend, think biblically and live accordingly. We hope today's broadcast turned your heart toward God, His Word, and His Son. To order a CD copy of today's program, or sign up for our free weekly email, or to find out how you can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, go to our website, thechristianworldview.org, or call us toll-free at 1-888-646-2233. The Christian Worldview is a weekly one-hour radio program that is furnished by the Overcomer Foundation and is supported by listeners and sponsors. Request one of our current resources with your donation of any amount. Go to thechristianworldview.org or call us toll-free at 1-888-646-2233 or write to us at Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. That's Box 401, Excelsior, Minnesota, 55331. Thanks for listening to The Christian Worldview. Until next time, think biblically and live accordingly.